Uh, glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, as many of you know, Pastor Joshua is on sabbatical. Uh, he's our primary preaching pastor, our full-time uh, employed pastor. And so we're doing our Psalms of Summer series. Every five years, he gets to take a, a few months off, which is um, aimed at helping him have some longevity in ministry. Uh, I know he plans to uh, be here until the Lord takes him home uh, and, and preaching the word uh, at least uh, close until that, I'm sure. So uh, be praying for him as, as that is coming to an end fairly soon, a few more weeks, and then he'll be back. Um, but it's my joy to be able to bring the sermon this morning. Um, if you're new or visiting, my name's Stephen Obert. I'm one of the elders here at the church, so I'm one of the the pastors, um, and it's my joy to uh, get to preach the word. Uh, probably one of my favorite things to do, uh, and I'm excited for our time. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 13, Psalm 13. Uh, we're going to live there this morning. I'll, I'll read some other passages, but uh, if you stay in Psalm 13, you'll be able to follow along with me. I wanted to begin by giving a, a quote from my favorite old uh, passed away pastor, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, anytime I'm in the Psalms, uh, Spurgeon is one of my go-tos, and um, I've got a few of his quotes in here this morning, but it'll kind of help you prepare for uh, what we're going to be looking at. Spurgeon said this, the, the psalm cannot be referred to any special event or period in David's history. All attempts to find it a birthplace are but guesses. It was doubtless more than once the language of that much-tried man of God, and is intended to express the feelings of the people of God in those ever-returning trials which beset them. If the reader has never found occasion to use the language of this brief ode, he will do so before long if he be a man after the Lord's own heart. We have been desiring to call this the how long psalm. We'd almost said the howling psalm from the incessant repetition of the cry, how long. As the Lord has seen fit during our Psalms of Summer series, we've really got to address a lot of the heaviness of life. It seems to be a theme this summer. Uh, and I'm without a doubt certain that many of you here have at minimum thought, how long? will this season go on? How long will this dark cloud remain above me? How long will this trial continue? How long will my misery last? How long? And it is my prayer for you, church, that if this is the season that God has you in, you would be blessed by our time uh, in Psalm 13 this morning. Uh, it's also my prayer that if, uh, by God's mercy, you are not in a season like that, like that's okay. Uh, that's in fact probably preferred, right? Um, that you would uh, learn from the psalm so that if the Lord does ordain that season to come, if he gives you long enough life to experience that season, you'll be able to recall what David says in this psalm. So with that, let, let's read Psalm 13 and then we'll, we'll jump in. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
Uh, if you are a note taker, I have uh, my normal three points this morning. The psalm is actually really uh, set up this way. The, the first two verses are a point. The second two verses are another point, And the last two verses are a point. So I'll go over those for you now. The, the first point is the honest cry of long suffering. The honest cry of long suffering. The second point is the pleading prayer for restoration. Pleading prayer for restoration. And then point three, the faithful song of a changed perspective. The faithful song of a changed perspective. And so hopefully I will uh, unpack those points well this morning and it will help you remember what David was writing about in the song. Before we do that, uh, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so thankful, so thankful to be here this morning. Thankful that your mercies are new each day. Thankful that we can come together as uh, your blood-bought family to sing to you, to pray together, to, to be under your word being taught. And I pray, Lord, that this psalm, the, the sermon this morning, would be a blessing to your people and it would make much of your name. I pray for the hearts here this morning that they can uh, put aside the, the cares of the day, the, the worries of uh, what's next. And really lean in to see your word and um, to be blessed by it. Pray that we would enjoy this time, that we would treasure it. That this summer through the Psalms would uh, be a sweet gift to us. And pray that Pastor Joshua would return rested and and ready to continue the work that um, he loves so dearly. We love you, Lord. We, we pray all of this because of your faithful Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So point one, the honest cry of long-suffering. As Spurgeon said in the quote that I read to you, this, this psalm does not denote a specific time or circumstance in David's life. Uh, you know, many of the psalms will say, uh, you know, David will, will actually make a note, I wrote this song during this war or because my son was trying to kill me or, you know, on and on. Um, and I think the, the reality that this song that he wrote doesn't have a specific time frame or event uh, is helpful for us. I, I think it's better for us that way. Um, I think we could be tempted uh, if David said this song was written while I was almost murdered by my son. Um, then we could go, yeah, I would get why he would be crying out. Like he's been running from his son for months and months. He's been hiding out in caves and he's been going to uh, other, other groups of people that were not his people and hiding. Okay, I could get how he would say that. But with the reality that he, he doesn't do that, uh, I think it becomes more relatable for you and I today. Uh, I don't know about any of you, but I've never had an entire army coming just after me. Um, perhaps. Uh, We've had armies coming after our nation, uh, but David had, had literal armies just trying to get him. Like he, he was the focus. Um, so when we think about the psalm and we think about David crying out, we can understand that that uh, is a real experience for us uh, as humans living in a fallen, sin-filled world. If we saw that there was some other purpose of the psalm, we, we may say that it makes sense that David would say these things. We may be tempted not to also then be genuine with our own struggles. However, what I hope you will see this morning is that the cry of how long can and does come to us all at some point in life. 
if the Lord gives us a long enough life. What I also hope you see is that David is not afraid to cry out in his sorrow to God. Christian, when you have suffered for a long season, for whatever reason that is, it is natural for our feeble frame to cry out, how long? Lord, how long will this continue? When when will you stop this? When will this end, Lord? God is not afraid of your feelings. He's not afraid for you to express your emotions, to share with him the, the, the genuine wrestle of your heart. Um, I, I, with some clarity, you, you don't want to express sinful emotion towards God, right? Um, I don't think that you honor him in that. But if you're in a long season of a great trial, of, of a heavy weight, perhaps even just a, a depression, a, a, a burden upon your mind, crying out, how long, Lord? How, how long is okay? He, he already knows your heart. He's not afraid that you're, you're, you're saying something shocking, right? Like a gracious father, our good God wants to hear our hearts and he understands our frame better than we do ourselves. Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Again, Spurgeon says of of these verses, How long? This question is repeated no less than four times. It betokens very intense desire for deliverance and great anguish of heart. And what if there be some impatience mingled therewith? Is not this the more true, a portrait of our own experience? It is not easy to prevent desire from degenerating into impatience. Oh, for grace that while we wait on God, we may be kept from indulging a murmuring spirit. How long? Does not the oft-repeated cry become a very howling? And what if grief should find no other means of utterance? Even then, God is not far from the voice of our roaring. For he does not regard the music of our prayers, but his own spirit's work in them, in exciting desire and inflaming the affections. How long, ah, how long do our days appear when our soul is cast down within us? How wearily the moments seem to glide o'er sadness, how the time delights to linger in its flight. Time flies with full-fledged wing in our summer days, but in our winters he flutters painfully. A week within prison walls is longer than a month at liberty. Long sorrow seems to argue abounding corruption, for the gold which is long in the fire must have had much dross to be consumed. Hence the question, how long? May suggest deep searching of the heart. How long wilt thou forget me? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Christian, have you, have you been there before? Are you perhaps there now? Can the omniscient Lord forget? Uh, of course not. Can the omnipresent God close his eyes so as not to see you? N- no, you're always before him. It is okay, though, for you to cry out to God, how long? 
As Spurgeon said, what if grief should find no other means of utterance? Even in this cry, you are reminding yourself of the God you know. If you do not know God, then why would you cry out to him at all? Why ask how long he will be distant if you do not know him to be? If God had forgotten you, why cry out to him? What you see is David's faith even in the sorrowful question. He is not denying God. He is is rather wailing out in his suffering to the God he knows is there. Uh, If you are in a season like this, I would love for you to consider what Isaiah, the prophet of the Lord, reveals to us in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49 verses 14 through 16. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. The Lord answers with this, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So Zion makes this claim that the Lord has forsaken and forgotten him. But see how the Lord answers. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Moms? It's a rhetorical question, right? And even though it's a rhetorical question, the Lord says, perhaps. A human, perhaps in the flesh, can. Perhaps she could forget her child. But I will not forget you. O Christian, does it not lighten your heavy heart to hear that you are engraved on the palms of God's hands, that you are continually before him? God cannot forget his people, and even David knows this. David is expressing his genuine feelings to the Father who knows him and cares for him. Whatever David was going through was was very heavy indeed. It was a long felt weight. It wasn't a a sudden rush of difficulty, but a long drawn out suffering. Suffering so long and so hard that David questions if the Lord would forget him forever. Are you just going to leave me here, Lord. And praise God, church, that we have this psalm to remind us that it is okay to cry out to God with our genuine concerns. The honest cry of a long-suffering saint is not a faithless cry. I mean, how how many are, are kind of fearful to share where they are truly at when they're speaking to God? Again, you, you don't want to speak in a sinful manner, but the Lord knows your heart. So speak openly with him, genuinely. How long, Lord? I, I'm, I feel like I'm drowning here, Lord. I feel like you're so distant. How long? How many in their flesh may falsely judge you if you are saying such things like this to them? Your brothers and sisters, you, you're needed. You're needed in this life. Your other brothers and sisters need you. They need to be real with you, genuine, to share with you. Here's where I'm at. I feel like, I feel like God's forgotten me. The beauty of this psalm is that we have in God's holy word this genuine interaction and cry so that we can see it and take heart. Christian, if you are here, If you are suffering 
if it has been a long, hard season, cry out to the Lord. Do not be afraid to cry out that it seems like you've been forgotten. David was a man after God's own heart. And yet right here, he is forever inscribed in God's holy word that this was his cry. And surely, even though we only see it once like this, surely this happened more than once for David, if you know anything about his life. Verse 1 goes on to say, How long will you hide your face from me? You see, Christian, God cannot forget you, but he may, for a season, for his own holy purposes, hide his face from you. He, he may allow you to feel the weight of the trial as he prepares you for glorification through suffering. When scripture speaks of God's face shining upon us, it, it means that he is blessing us. We are in his blessings. To be in the gaze of the Father above is a most gracious and precious place for a true child. Um, speaking of for a moment, and, and the, the child will not feel whole again until he sees the father smile once more. Parents, think about it. You discipline your child. They've done something wrong. They need the discipline. The discipline hurts. Usually there's tears, right? And yet I know for my own son, after that discipline, all all he wants is to come back to dad and see dad smiling again. He knows there's an interruption in this relationship. And it, and it bothers, he, he's not satisfied. When he comes out from his time of discipline, the first thing he wants to do is hug. I love you, dad. Can I hug you? Of course, son, I love you too. The discipline was momentary. My love for you doesn't, doesn't end, right? Well, if that's true of an earthly father who's flawed, how much more than with God, right? Psalm chapter 30, verse five. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This cry from David is an acknowledgement that the Lord is sovereign over David's circumstances. And for whatever divine purpose the Lord has, David's feeling this distance from him. He, he feels like he is far from the blessings of God. He feels like he is far from looking upon the smiling face of his father once more. And this is causing David great anguish, as any true Christian would understand in these types of seasons. More difficult than the trial itself is this feeling of distance from the Lord. Uh, perhaps I can say it this way, the weight of feeling that the Lord's blessings, the, the Lord's presence is no longer uh, close to you. Christian, have you struggled in your life through some trial, through some struggle with sin, whatever, and felt distant from God. It is a horrible feeling. It's horrible. This is a heavy, dark, and sad state to be in. David continues in verse 2, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? The, the reality of this trial that he's experiencing has caused such anguish in David's heart that, he, that he's, he's just saying all day. My heart's just sorrowful. I, I have no joy. How long? How long will this go on? My, my heart is just heavy all day long. He feels as if man and God have abandoned him. He feels as if he is left to himself to process or to bear the burdens of this trial. Anybody relate to that? 
He feels the only counsel he can have is within himself. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? It's like, there's no one else here. You feel distant, Lord. You feel like you've forgotten me. The, the people around me have forgotten me. I, I, my only counsel is here within myself. How long must I take counsel in my soul? David is grieved to depths, both, both physically and mentally. How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? The verse goes on to say, How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Whatever David is suffering, even his enemies are, are mocking him in this suffering. And so he asks the Lord, How long? How long, O Lord, will you be distant? How long will my heart be in anguish? How long will the only counsel I have be my own soul? How long will my enemies mock and have success against me? How long? And church, if you felt like this, take heart. You are not the first, and you certainly won't be the last. You have the example of others before you, and if it be God's will, you will be an example to others after you. Suffering in whatever circumstance you may find yourself in is difficult. When that suffering is extended over a long period of time, it becomes hardly bearable. Yet you and I have an advocate with the Father who knows your suffering, who knows the weight of the Father turning his face away, who knows in perfect knowledge the cup of wrath that you and I deserve for our miserable, wretched sin against God. And yet he, Christ Jesus, our Lord, stands in the gap right now. Even now, even, even when you're wailing out, how long? Have you forgotten me, Lord? Your Savior is interceding on your behalf. Who knows this long-suffering better than Christ Jesus himself. Not only has the Father not forgotten you, but the Son is interceding for you now, yes, in the midst of this very battle. Let me read these verses again before we move to the next point. Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Christian, be genuine with the Lord in your crying out. Cry out to God. Do not hide your heart as if you could hide it from the omniscient God, right? Don't be afraid to be honest with where you are and how you feel but do not let your feelings become your standard. Your feelings aren't the standard of truth. God's word is, right? Um, it's too easy to get caught up in that. But your feelings are real. They, they are a real blessing. Your emotion is a gift from God. And he wants to hear from you. And it's okay to express those things, again, with the caveat of not expressing them sinfully, right? Um, Cry out to him who knows you better than you know yourself. Tell God you feel distant. Have you forgotten me, Lord? I, logically, if you've been with us any time, you know that an omniscient God cannot forget things, right? So logically, you know I'm not forgotten. But in your heart, it feels that way. You, you feel distant. Again, your, your feelings are not the ultimate standard, right? But it's okay to express that. I feel like you're distant, Lord. 
I feel like you've turned your face away. I feel like you've forgotten me. Do that. Only don't stop there. Don't just wail all the time. Don't, don't, don't wallow away in that wailing that this has gone on too long. I'm too burdened. It's too hard. It's too heavy. Don't remain there. Cry the honest cry of suffering, but do not leave it there, brother and sister. Instead, pray to God. Plead to your good father for restoration. Make your your request known to him as David does in these next two verses. Point to the pleading prayer for restoration. Psalm 13 verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the death, the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Again, uh, another quote from Spurgeon. But now prayer lifts up her voice, like the watchman who proclaims the daybreak. Now will the tide turn, and the weeper shall dry his eyes. The mercy seat is the life of hope and the death of despair. The gloomy thought of God's having forsaken him is still upon the psalmist's soul, and he therefore cries, Consider and hear me. He remembers at once the root of his woe and cries aloud that it may be removed. The final absence of God is Toppet's fire, and his temporary absence brings his people into the very suburbs of hell. God is here entreated to see and to hear, that so he may be doubly moved to pity. What should we do if we had no God to turn to in our hour of wretchedness? Note the cry of faith, O Lord my God. Is it not a very glorious fact that our interest in our God is not destroyed by all our trials and sorrows? We may lose our gourds, but not our God. The title deed of heaven is not written in sand, but in eternal brass. David says, consider and answer me. David prays to God to hear his concern and to respond to him. When you read this psalm, don't, don't read David's prayer here as like a command towards the Lord. He's not saying, listen, God, and you better have an answer for me. That's not the tone. He, he's saying, hear me, Lord, and answer. I need to hear from you. This, this has gone on so long. I feel so distant. Please hear me and please respond. When you feel forgotten or extremely distant from something your heart desires greatly, what brighter joy does it bring than to hear from that thing? If you've had a loved one who's moved away, um, you know, someone serving, things like that. You just long to hear their voice. Just want to hear him again. That's David's cry here. Lord, listen and answer me. I long to hear from you. We can know David's heart here is proper in his pleading, for he ends this request of hearing and responding with, O oh Lord, my God. David is rightly pleading with his God. He is sufferingly pleading for his God to listen and to answer. David longs to hear from the Lord. He longs to have the face of the Lord shining upon him once again. He goes on to say, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, 
This prayer for God's blessings to return, for, for God to shine his face upon David again, for God to hear and answer David's cry is so heavy because this trial that David is in has him feeling like he is on death's doorstep. God, if you don't answer, I, I think this is it for me. I fear that I am going to sleep the sleep of death. That's how desperate I am. If you don't come through, O oh Lord, my God, I fear I may not make it. I'm at my end, Lord, please hear me and answer. Having walked with uh, many of you through many things in life, I know many of you have felt this weight. There may be times in life where the weight of the broken world around you and the weight of sin in you or around you brings you to such a place that it feels like you cannot go on. See what David does here, and you would do well to follow it. Honestly cry out to the Lord who knows your heart. But don't just stop there. Plead to him. Ask him to hear you, to answer your cry. When you're in such a deep trial that you have no other option, then pray. I have no other way to fix this. I'm in way over my head. I feel like this is going to bring me to death. Great. Pray to your God, who is sovereign over all things. Now, pray before the trial too, right? Like, don't, don't, don't just wait to pray until you feel like you're going to die. Uh, pray all the time, as Scripture commands you to. But even if you feel like God has not heard you, if you're feeling like God has forgotten you, likely you already have prayed and yet you feel like there's no answer. Never stop praying. David feels like God has forgotten him and may do so forever. He feels like he is on death's doorstep, and yet he still prays. Continuing on in the passage, David says, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Even David's enemies are mocking him. If God does not answer David, who has already expressed his loneliness that he feels will bring him to an end, his enemies will have won. He will have suffered unto death. I, I, I hope you feel the weight of this, church. I know many of you who have gone through really weighty things felt this very weight. We live in a sin-filled, fallen world. Justice is often flawed if it is present at all. But praise God, church, that David wrote this psalm, that we can relate to and understand. Praise God that we can know he will not forget us, he will not forsake us. Praise God indeed that though our biggest enemy, the devil, still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, our Lord and Savior has already secured our victory through his blood. We may not have armies coming for us as David did, but we do have the same enemy, the devil, who surely did all his worst toward David, a man after God's own heart. Pray as David does for restoration. Pray faithfully as David does, acknowledging that it is your God whom you are praying to. Even if you've prayed a million times, pray a million and one. Surely this psalm is representative of many trials that David experienced in his life. David doesn't write in the psalm, well, I prayed this many times, and then I prayed one more time, and then it happened. Surely 
if he's gotten himself to a point where he's crying out, have you forgotten me, God? Surely he's prayed before that too, right? But that doesn't stop him from praying again. God uses the Psalm of David to show us that even if we've pleaded a thousand times, plead again. Be honest with God, with your hurt, with the darkness of the season you're in, and ask that he would hear and answer you. Ask that he would bring light to your darkened eyes once more. Ask that he would lift your head from the pit. Pray that he would shine his face upon you again, and do this remembering that you are praying to the God you know exists and is sovereign and capable of changing the circumstances you find yourself in. O Lord, my God, hear my cry and bring me relief. I feel like I cannot go on. Bring the light of your wonderful face back to my eyes or I may not make it. Do not let my enemies defeat me. Restore me, O my God. David's prayer in the middle of this psalm is his turning point. He goes from heavy-hearted, long-suffering, to pleading with God for an answer. And it seems through his prayer, he remembers the faithfulness of the Lord, which brings us to our last point, the faithful song of a changed perspective. Psalm 13, verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Trusting, rejoicing, and singing. How, how do we get there? How, how do we get from how long, O oh Lord, I'm on death's doorstep? How long? Oh, please hear me and answer. How long? How do we get from there to trusting? rejoicing, and singing. In verse 5, David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Somewhere in this psalm, David's perspective changes. From the weight of the world that was crushing him, from the lonely feelings of being distant from his God, that caused him to ask if God would forget him forever to a faithful trusting in God's steadfast love and a knowing that this trial, this wait will not remain forever, but that he will rejoice in God's salvation. The same heart that was sorrowful all day long and had been for some time crying out, how long, O Lord, will this continue? is now rejoicing in trusting that God will deliver him. Now, I want to bring a little clarity here. Oftentimes when we're reading scripture and we hear about God's salvation, we read a line that says God's salvation, we automatically think eternal salvation. Uh, That's kind of where our mind goes. And and in this passage, David is rooting this salvation in that. It's not like he's forgotten about his eternal salvation. But I believe in this passage, he's saying he believes that the Lord will deliver him from this suffering. Um, However, if the Lord does not, he is still trusting in the Lord who has provided eternal salvation, right? So so those two work together. But uh, oftentimes when you read it, I, I think we wrongly apply it as eternal salvation in all the circumstances in Scripture. 
And I think David was speaking about this very specific thing. I, I, I will trust in your salvation. I know you're going to bring it. Um, if you stop and consider how many times God has brought you salvation from trials, from heartache, from your own sin, I, I bet you'd be amazed. Do, do it when you go home today. Just, just think about how many times God has rescued you from something temporary and be amazed. When we do that, it reminds us how steadfast God is. It reminds our heart the faithfulness of our Lord. How many times has God intervened in your life and saved you from death? Every one of these things is a time that God had provided a form of salvation. Now, again, I think David simply means that he believes God will deliver him from this current anguish that he's singing about. David remembers that the Lord has been faithful. He declares that he has trusted in God's steadfast love, and he declares that he shall rejoice in God's salvation. What we see here is a clear transition from the suffering downcast heart to a hopeful, trusting heart. Now that David's perspective has changed, his faith is showing forth in a more positive way. He is rejoicing in the hope of knowing that God will deliver him. David remembers that he has trusted in God before and God has always come through. And this is really where his perspective changes from what was weighing him down to remembering what God has done and a faithful trusting that God will do it again. David changes his focus, uh, or better said, perhaps God changes David's focus. And he turns from this deep anguish, this wailing over a distant feeling between him and God, to trusting and rejoicing in God. And this transition happened after David prayed. It seems that David got his answer. It seems that the Lord heard and answered him. The Lord listened and responded by reminding David of his faithfulness, his steadfast love, that he is the one who brings salvation. David feared that, sorry, the same faithfulness that David feared would not return when he felt like God had forgotten him now stirs David's heart to rejoice. Again, Christian, your sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God has not forgotten you. He remains steadfast even when it seems that he has hidden his face from you. For clarity's sake, this is not some kind of promise that every trial you experience in this life will have a temporary solution. There will come a day where you are in some sort of trial, and that time will be the time that God has ordained to take you home. However, catch this, that's an eternal solution. In Christ, you have salvation. To die is gain. So just because David seems confident that the Lord will deliver him from this situation, that doesn't mean we read that as, surely he will deliver me from whatever is going on for you now. But 
What you can know is that if he doesn't deliver you from it temporarily, then he's delivering you eternally. That's far better. And so rejoice. Remember the steadfast love of your Lord. David continues in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, a minute ago, David cried out, how long? Now he's, now he's singing to God and saying, you've dealt bountifully with me. Which one is it, David? How, how long has he forgotten you or he's been generous to you? Like he's, he's dealt with you bountifully, generously, abundantly. Well, it's, it's both. Because David's human, like you and I. How many times do we wake up just not feeling it? And then the Lord's gracious and something changes. That's the best day ever. Or vice versa. Wake up, great morning, got lots of sleep. You hit your bed on the way out with your toe and all of a sudden the worst day you've ever had in your life, right? What, a, what an amazingly relatable psalm, church. From the, the, the depths of distance and, and hurt and sorrow, the, the length of suffering, I'm going to sing to the Lord because he's been, he's dealt with me bountifully. This really is an incredible change. And I know many of you uh, here who may be dealing with these very heavy things are longing for this change for you. Spurgeon says this, the psalm closes with a sentence, which is a refutation of the charge of forgetfulness which David had uttered in the first verse. He hath dealt bountifully with me, so shall it be with us if we wait a while. The complaint which in our haste we utter shall be joyfully retracted, and we shall witness that the Lord hath dealt bountifully with us. As David is reminded of God's character, his steadfast love, his salvation, David is reminded that God has been generous to him. He has dealt bountifully with David. It makes me wonder what sorrows we may spare ourselves if our focus could but move from the trouble and the weight of the trouble to the faithfulness of God. If we could just remember the countless salvations that God has given, or at minimum, remember the greatest salvation that God has given us, Christian, might that memory shift our eyes from our burdens and weights to a more joyful hope in the steadfast God who has never failed us? I realize just saying that doesn't make it easy. Even if you can like, cognitively accept that and go, yeah, that, that probably would be helpful. It doesn't mean it's going to be something that's easy to do. I realize many wish that they could focus on the Lord, on his faithfulness, on the blessings he's given, and not be swallowed up by the weight of their circumstances again. That's why I wanted to have us consider the different points and their uh, order in this psalm. David cries out to the Lord. He fears that he will be forgotten. He then prays and asks the Lord to hear an answer. He pleads his case before his God, and it seems God answered by reminding David of his steadfast love. 
And we see David say as much when he shifts from the the cry to the prayer to the rejoicing. David begins that verse 5 with, it's due to God's steadfast love. I will remember your steadfast love. He turns from how long to I will sing, and he does it because he changes his focus from the suffering and the length of trial to remembering what God has done, how faithful the Lord is. Christian, no matter how long, uh, no matter how difficult the trial you may be in, never stop praying for God to shine his face upon you. Never stop asking for him to bring light to your darkened eyes again. It may be his plan to bring your heart up in that one millionth and one prayer. And it may be his plan to take you home and not temporarily deliver you. But in all of that, what we do know is that we can trust in our faithful God. If nothing else, your regular praying, your regular praying, praying will remind your heart that you have a God to cry out to. It will help realign your thoughts and desires and will with the will of the Lord. So uh, as I wrap up, I want to go over the three main points again. Uh, Point one, the honest cry of a long suffering. Remember, Christian, that it is okay to cry out to God, to, to be honest with where your heart is at. He already knows it. You're not uh, saving him anything by going, Lord, I feel like you're, feel like you're not there. It's so heavy on my heart. He, he wants your genuine uh, conversation to be made. He wants you to speak to him that way. Again, with the caveat of not sinfully accusing God of things that are not his, right? Yeah, if you're angry and you want to say a few things at the Lord, I would encourage you not to do that. Uh, that in a, in a sinful way, right? But telling the Lord, like, I'm angry. I don't understand this. Yeah, he, okay, that's okay. He knows. He knows how weak, how feeble we are. He's the creator of us. Knows us better than we know ourselves. What a beautiful reality we have enshrined in Holy Scripture that we can be genuine with our Lord and our suffering. God can handle our honest cry. He is the good father and he knows his children. Psalm 103, 13, and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Point two was the pleading prayer for restoration. There will be times in this life when all you can do is pray. You have no more avenues to go down. You have no more strength to step forward. But you can pray. You can ask God to move, to do something, to deliver you from this thing. Even if he chooses not to, there is comfort in knowing that you can pray to him. Ask him to listen to you. Ask him to answer. Tell him how heavy the circumstances are. And even if you've done it a million times, do it again. Jesus tells a parable about praying without ceasing in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read that for us. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Remember, if you had the omniscient knowledge that God has, you would not ask for anything other than what he has ordained. He is perfect. He has a purpose. It may be that he has ordained that the millionth and one prayer was the prayer that he was going to respond to in a way that you were hoping for. It may be that he takes you home in the middle of your prayer, but he is good. He is steadfast in his love for you, Christian. And so cry out to him. Remember again that prayer reminds us who God is, helps us to realign our hearts with his will. And it's a true blessing of prayer uh, for us to not lose heart. So pray again and again and again. Never stop praying. Point three, the faithful song of a changed perspective. When David's heart is focused on his trial, he still remained faithful, but it was a sorrowful faith. When he was crying out, how long, O Lord, he wasn't lacking in faith. Otherwise, who was he crying out to? right? But his faith was being expressed in a a very sad, kind of lost, hopeless way. When he turns to focus here on God's steadfast love, his faith turns from sorrow to rejoicing. He's reminded that God has been generous to him and steadfast. God's love will not end or fail. If God has spilled the blood of his son to save you, he will surely not forget you now. Oh, how I pray for you, Christian, for you, Christian, who is still at the beginning of this psalm right now, for you who are still in your gut going how long. It's, it's, it's more than I can bear. I pray that it would be God's will to remind you of his faithfulness and that this morning you could turn from how long to I will sing because he has dealt with me abundantly. The structure of this psalm is unique, and uh, I wanted to share this part because I just found it kind of cool. It was one of my nerd out moments in uh, my study time. So, and I believe it sheds some light. Um, I'm not a musician, um, but musicians will understand this, and uh, hopefully, it'll be a cool little takeaway for you. the The structure of a song can teach us something about the words that are sung in it. Um, for example, in this psalm, the, the first stanza, which was my first point, the first two verses of the psalm, are five lines long. The second stanza of the song is four lines long, so it got a little shorter. And then the third stanza of the song is three lines long. These stanzas, again, are the three points that I aim to draw out of the text for you. The first and longest was David's cry of how long. The second and shorter than the longest was David's prayer. And then the third and shortest of all of it was David rejoicing. 
The song begins with heavy turmoil. And thus it has more lines to be sung because of the weight of the turmoil. You can feel it. It's expressed more. It then moves, and there's a transition in David as, as it moves from the heavy turmoil to the prayer. And so there's some calmness coming over the situation. David doesn't need to say as much. And then it moves to rejoicing, to remembering the steadfast love of God and to singing his praise. And it's like there's peace again there. The tumultuous, the, the, the turmoil-filled heart of David has landed. The, the weight that took five lines to sing about here has been lifted. And he's joyful again. A 19th century commentator of the psalm, uh, his name is Franz Delitzsch. I'm horrible with that, so uh, good luck. Um, he said this, The song, as it were, cast up constantly lessening waves until it becomes still as the sea when smooth as a mirror. And the only motion discernible at last is that of the joyous ripple of calm repose. Man, I wish I could speak like that. It's cool. Christian, if, if you're in the weight of long-suffering, I pray that you would know the joyous ripple of calm repose. I pray that the Lord would take you from that to a singing to him, to a remembering that he has dealt abundantly with you. Whatever the Lord has ordained for your life, you can trust that it is for your good and for his glory. I pray that your sorrow turns from emotional tumultuous weight through an increasingly calming prayer until you find yourself at the final expression of joyous praise and trust in God, bringing you peace from your trials. Unbeliever, if you are here this morning and you have not repented of your sin and entrusted your life to Christ, I don't have a hope that I can give you for your trials apart from repentance and faith. You are an enemy of God. Calling out to him as if he is yours would make no sense unless you have turned from your sin, repented, and trusted in what Jesus alone could do to bring you salvation. If you have not done that, then I pray that you would believe in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus that you would believe that he was who he said he was, that he lived perfectly, that he suffered on the cross for your sin, and that he rose victoriously on the third day, proving that the sacrifice was sufficient. I pray that you would turn from your sin. I don't need to convince you that you're a sinner. Nobody is, is fooled into thinking they are not sinners. I pray that you wouldn't leave here an enemy of God. I pray that you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. I pray that the next time life has you in long suffering, you would know the God that David cried out to, and that it would stir your heart to a calm repose. Let's pray. 
Father, we are, again, so thankful to be here this morning to have another day to worship you, to worship through song, through prayer, through digging into and understanding your word, to applying it to our lives, Lord. When our hearts are heavy, when we feel distant, would we remember this psalm? Would we remember what David does? Would we cry out and be genuine? Will we pray and plead that you would hear us? And would it be your will, Lord, to remind us of your steadfastness, your faithfulness, your salvation, that we may sing like David does at the end? Whether you deliver us from our temporary trials or you bring us home, delivering us eternally, may we have joy in you this day, Lord. May we sing because of your steadfast love because of our confidence of your salvation. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen.